to the Bible. It's your good friend, A.A. Ron. We are now in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're now in the KJV. Man, what's slower than a turtle? Uh, what, a snail? A slug? I feel like a snail today. Man. Talk about moving at a snail's pace. Man. But hey, we're moving. We're moving. That's that's what matters the most. So here we go. Mark chapter 8, KJV. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for divers of them came from far or diverse of them came from far. All right. Interesting that you said they've been with him three days. Now, let's go back. Didn't we just see this miracle? Where he feeds the 5,000. Here we go. Yeah. Yep. Five loaves and two fish. That was in Mark chapter six. Now we're in Mark eight. And here we go. We're about to see another miracle. Pay attention to little nuances. Yeah, how many do you feed then? Let's see here. That's five loaves, two fish. They sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And all right, he fed, yeah. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. That's not including the women and children. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 8. Five loaves, two fish happened in Mark 6. 5,000 men were fed. Now, Mark chapter 8. That was Mark chapter 6. Now, Mark chapter 8, verse 3. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? <laughs> That's wild. Like, hold on. All right. In the last situation, they were in the desert. In this situation, they're in the wilderness. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. How is... Yeah, how do the disciples not notice? That they how do they forget that quickly? The miracle of Jesus feeding the 5000 just then and this that quickly. And that that's like we are. We are just like at least I'll speak for myself. I am very similar to the disciples. It's easy for me to forget all the ways that Jesus has come through for me, all the ways that he has provided for me, God has provided for me throughout my life, just yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and all the times he's gotten me out of situations where I thought there's no way 
I'm I'm screwed, you know. All right, here we go. Verse five. And he asked them, how many loaves have you? And they said seven. So last time they had five loaves. And two fish. This time they have seven loaves. All right. And they said seven. And he commanded the people to sit. I don't think I've ever heard a pastor like preach on these two accounts. I've heard people make references to the accounts separately, but never like compare Mark six and Mark eight and break it down and like do the whole because there's some really cool commentary out there. If you Google it, comparing Mark chapter six and Mark chapter eight. Feeding of the five thousand versus I think here's going to be four thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all go take the time to do that. I'm not going to do that right now. Um, That I could be here for over an hour talking about this. The symbolism behind why he fed 5,000 in the desert and then 4,000 in the wilderness and the significance of it being five five loaves and two fish. And then here it's seven loaves. And does it say anything about fish? It says a few small fishes. Which a few is, I've heard, what is it? A couple is two. And then a few would be three or more. Three to five or so. That's what I've heard people say is a few. Three to five-ish. Three to four, some people might say. Definitely less than ten would be a few. But more than two. All right, and he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He commanded them. Interesting. Sit down. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets Hmm. And they that had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. Dalmanatha. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanatha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Hmm. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? 
And do ye not remember when I brake the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? <laughs> yep. They, that would be me. It's like, what's how what what's going on here? What where's the disconnect, y'all? Let's keep going. It's easy to make fun of the disciples, but many of us would be just as hard headed as them. Just clueless. All right, Bethsaida, and he cometh to Bethsaida. And they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. When he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Now, I don't know about y'all. Because isn't there another story? There's another story where Jesus takes mud and puts it on the man's eyes and heals him. I can't remember where it's at. I would have to go Google it. But in this particular situation, he spits on his hands directly and it rubs the spit right in his eyes. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. All right. Yeah, if you were in a situation where you were desperate, yeah, and you had been blind for your entire life, yeah, go right ahead. Spit in your hands, Lord. But I've seen some people, I've heard, of, well, I haven't seen this directly, but I've heard stories of people doing this kind of stuff in churches. I don't know, like, or, yeah, doing the whole spitting in their hands and rubbing it on people's eyes. I, was like, yeah. I mean, if it works, yeah, go right ahead. But what if it doesn't? Then you got somebody saliva in your eyes. And with all the COVID stuff going on, people are really leery about that kind of stuff. It's, it's just interesting. This is a very interesting story. Verse 24, he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After the, that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, that's another interesting thing here. I just like to point out stuff that just makes me go, hmm. Like, okay, the first time when he opened his eyes, all right, this is Jesus performing this miracle. Why couldn't the man fully see the first time? Was he lacking faith? Was was there something like, I know Jesus didn't botch anything on his end. He didn't mess up the LASIK surgery. Or, you know, the eye surgery. It was, it's, I'm pretty sure on Jesus's and it worked the first time. There was something lacking on the other, on the man who was healed to where maybe he lacked some faith into like really 100% seeing, you know? Because why did it say after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. I don't. I just noticed little subtle details like that. Why did it take two times rather than one? Maybe that was a lesson for us. Like sometimes to be, 
some of us might pray for somebody once and because we don't see the results or we see maybe a partial healing, you know, we give up. But to be persistent, to do it again until we see the results. All right, verse 26. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town or tell it to anyone in the town. Now, y'all think he actually listened to what Jesus said? (laughs) I mean, like, I'm sorry. If somebody's walking around here with a, you know, blind with a cane, or a CNI dog their whole entire life. And I've heard stories. I've heard it said that it's ease, much easier for somebody who was born blind to get through life than somebody who develops blindness over time. I've heard that before. But anyway, if I see somebody, if I know somebody that's been, even like been wearing glasses their whole life, not even blind, but has been wearing glasses their whole life, I'm talking about big old bifocals, thick, thick glasses. And then all of a sudden they don't need glasses anymore. Um, I'm going to be like, hey, what happened, man? And like, what is that person going to do? Like make up a, like, a story? Make up a lie? No, nah, you're going to tell the truth. Like, yeah. All of a sudden if Fred doesn't need his his cane no more and doesn't need a an escort somebody to carry walk him around or a cni dog and be like hey fred how are you walking around without you know your cni dog and your cane and your escort what they gonna make up i'm pretty sure he went around and told people is what i'm trying to say um it's always an I'm like, what is, I always wonder, like, what is the lesson that Jesus is trying to show us in that when he would tell people not to tell anybody about his miracles? The thing I get from it is that Jesus, it's a one, I, I see humility because Jesus wasn't about, he was there on a mission and God was always, even though he was fully God and fully man, Something about the whole way the Trinity works is like he still was humble and pointed people to God, like didn't want any of fame or any of the eyeballs on him. Like he was still submitted to God, like as the authority over him, as his father, and that God was ultimately to be praised, not him, (laughs) which is why there's so many people that that kind of get confused by the whole oneness doctrine and the trinity this blows my mind like it's one of those things where conceptually i can i can picture it in my head but still there's no way to even fully describe the trinity like to make it make 100 percent sense to everyone like it will make your brain go down some wild rabbit holes like how does this even work like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but here Jesus is like trying to point everybody to God, but he is God at the same time. Anyway, uh, separate but equal, uh, three in one. Uh, uh, I can't even really say separate but equal because. I don't know. It just blows my mind. The whole concept of the Trinity just blows my mind. 
Um, but yeah, humility, he expresses humility here. And he also expresses like, um, like when it comes to healing, that almost like it's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. Like here in the United States, especially people have made entire careers and made millions of dollars off of healing ministries or have um, my neighbor. one of my neighbors has a dog and it's just squealing randomly and startled me. But yeah, people have made entire ministries and entire careers and entire like some people have unfortunately um, made a healing ministry into a gimmick. And it makes it look bad. It may it, it really uh, unfortunately negatively impacts. It gives healing almost a bad name to where a lot of people lack faith and they don't trust it because they've seen so many scams out there. And so many people who have made a mockery or like made a gimmick or try to profit off of. What it like? I guess you would say like snake oil salesmen going around. Yeah, are these televangelists? It's pretty sad. All right, Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, "Whom do men say that I am?" And they answered, "John the Baptist." But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, "But whom say ye that I am? Like who do y'all say I am? That's all. That's what I really care about." And Peter. Interesting. Yeah, first his question was, who do men say that I am? And then he cared more about what did, what do they think about him? Who do, how do they describe him? Or who do they say he is? And Peter answereth, answereth and saith unto him, thou art the Christ. Way to go, Peter. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priest and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Mm. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mm. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That's one of the most powerful quotes phrases i've ever heard it gets quoted a lot i can totally relate to this like especially as we this world we're in right now where it's like everything that i see on social media tiktok all the apps like it's it's almost how do i say this when I was a kid, when I was a kid, right, 
you would turn on T when I was yeah in my like say eight years old around there, even developing into as a teenager. You would like turn on your TV, right? And I'll watch. I mostly watch sports, so you know you looked at. I won't say I idolized Kobe. Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah. Michael Jordan. I wouldn't idolize these folks to the extent that a lot of people do. I would say I really, 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 really love these guys and enjoyed and appreciated them as athletes. And yeah, wanted to be like them, right? Yeah. I'll just straight up say, yes, I idolize these folks. Yeah, we won't even sugarcoat it. I idolize folks like Jordan and Kobe. And I looked up to them, right? And wanted to, you know, go outside after watching these games and like try to, you know, copy their moves, especially like Jordan and Kobe, like they do the fadeaway jumper. I would go out and just practice that shot so many times, like to be just like them, to shoot it just like them and and try to do the crossovers like Kobe and all that. Right. Um, The whole dribble through my legs thing that Jordan would do. Oh, man. Jordan did this this move one time where he like crisscrossed his legs like twice or he like dribbled through his legs like almost like skipping. It's hard to describe it. It's easier to show y'all what I'm talking about. But he did this thing where he like crisscrossed through his legs twice and then acted like he was about to go away from the basket and then came back toward the basket and then like I don't know if he dunked it. I don't know. It was like one of the coolest moves I've ever seen. And I used to try to do that move over and over and over again, right? But let me get to my point. So when I was a kid, yeah, you just had the people on TV to idolize, right? And you tried to be like them. And it wasn't even so much, I would say, I didn't necessarily want to, like all the money that they had. Like, yeah, it would be cool to have the money and, and the fame. I just like, I just thought they were cool. I just thought it was amazing to, yeah, I probably was more attracted to the fame that they had than the money, but more of like, I didn't want to be like famous outside, like having to do with all the paparazzi stuff. I just wanted to be like famous on the court, like be like, be on the court and be like the man, like just having a great game, you know? Um, And just that feeling of like feeling good, like, yeah, I'm really good. Like I'm, I'm like a great player and people, I don't know, like, it wasn't even so much like having the pats on the back by people, almost like more of like, just validation of like knowing I'm great at something. Like, people recognizing that I'm great at something, not even like people, myself, and my parents, like, I'll never forget when there was a because I played basketball yeah, in high school, not college. And there was this game that I played. I feel like I was at. I played against. It was in this tournament. But there was this one particular game. Which one was it? What's the name of that school? I'm going to remember it. Hold on a second. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. J K L M N O P something with a P. 
pious, p not pious. I mean, it's not Saint Pius. P Priory. There you go. Wow. It was this all boys, white boy, predominantly school called Priory. And it was a, I think it was a tournament that they had or something like that. And I feel like at that game, I got, I think I got in trouble or something like that. And the coach benched me to start the game. So I had to come off the bench and I was furious. Like, I was like, all right, you going to bench me, dude? Like, I'm about to, it might have been my junior or senior year or something like that. Probably my senior year. And so I, when I came off that bench into the game, bruh, I was like, all right, I'm about to like go off. And I think I might have scored like 18 points or something like that. I don't know. Coming off the bench. I can't remember, but I just, and I remember my dad being in the stands. I remember my dad just yelling like, hey, Ron, good job, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the feeling that gave me, man. Like that validation, like from your dad, man. Like, my mom probably came to every game, man, but, like, and I don't know if, I don't think my dad can make it to every one, whatever, because it's work schedule sometimes, but, uh, Man, that validation, man, from your dad, your pops, man, that's something different. It hits, it hits different. Knowing your dad is just proud of you, man. And cheer you up. Like, I don't need, like, I'll trade that for a billion dollars, man. I mean, it would be nice to have some money, but, like, that's the stuff that is priceless, man. And when I go on these like social media platforms and stuff, and like, or when I go out here and I'm trying to work, whatever, and try to make money just to provide, just to take care of myself, and then take be able to pay this child support and take care of these responsibilities that I have, man, like. And what I see online, man, is like people chasing validation, man. Like, yeah, people chasing money and chasing validation. And at the end of the day, when I think about this scripture, when it says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's like God put these like, like yesterday I had this guy who I picked up and I dropped him off at this, uh, this this drug this drug and alcohol treatment program for men and uh we had a good talk he like drives shuttles for the airport and uh anyway uh I'll just share with him John chapter four. And um, 
how that helps me a lot, the woman at the well. He said his favorite scripture is Galatians 2.20. And um, anyway, I just told him, like, yeah, that God put that, he put that God-sized hole in us and that only he could fulfill it. No women, no sex, no amount of money, no nice house, no nice neighborhood, no fame, no fortune, no accolades, rewards, nothing, no food. For those of us that love food and candy and sweets and pies and desserts, you eat something, you poop it out, right? Nothing can satisfy. Like right now, I will love, I will love a nice wife. I will love to be able to have relations again, have sex again. I would love to be able to have all my debts paid off. I would love to live in a nice house. There's a whole list of fill in the blank things that would make me happy, right? But none of it satisfies. Um, Once you get something, there's always more. So, yes, when I think of this scripture... For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? When I don't think of that, I just think of like, you can chase all these things in this world, this world, but it won't satisfy you. Only Jesus, just like knowing that Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, the three and three and one, the Trinity, right? The Godhead them him cheering you on like this thing of him, him cheering you on your entire life just like my pops being in the stands right but even though my pops has left me in the physical he's still there in the spiritual now cheering me on my along with my heavenly father cheering me on and if we could see like to so take you, the image of your dad for those of y'all some of y'all didn't have a dad growing up but whoever that was that you looked up to that that very first person that gave you validation it could be a teacher it could be your mom it could have been an aunt uncle big brother in the neighborhood something like somebody right who was that who cheered you on you know and who loved you unconditionally who was there for you that had your back in the in the darkest of times even in the best times, right? No matter what, they were by your side cheering you on, right? Gave you that validation. Now take that feeling that they gave you and or it might have been your spouse, you know? Take that validation that they gave you and multiply it times a billion. Infinity, right? And that's that's Jesus. That's God, Holy Spirit, three in one. That's what he provides you. And I feel like to lose your soul is to lose that then that to lose sight of that that even if I even when I go out here and make millions of dollars I become famous I became I come you know it's like anything that I do right even this podcast fill in the blank Say, I, you know, I go back into banking or go back into whatever job I do. Say, I, you know, as a writer, you know, my books blow up. Right. Or whatever I, I go to do today. Right. Knowing that there's only the only audience that matters is Jesus. Everything that I do, the only thing that matters is that he 
is proud of me, that he's watching me, that he validates me. And the moment you lose sight of that, I feel like that's when you lose your soul. When you are doing things, when you're posting things, when you're writing things, when you are creating things, when you are whatever it is, filling from blank, doing whatever you're doing for the applause and the validation of men or for money. Instead of doing it because, you know, your heavenly father makes your heavenly father proud. And also knowing that there's nothing that you can do that'll make him stop loving you. Like there's not like you don't have to earn his love. It's not like earthly love where you have to like feel like you have to earn it. You have to go out and strive to get it. It's just there. Um, some of us may feel like we have to like we want to hear. Some of us are still doing things, getting degrees, you know, getting special jobs and titles and doing things because we're trying to receive the approval of a spouse, of a woman, of our parents, of a whoever, a friend, of people to get that pat on the back and say, you are special, you are loved, you, I'm proud of you, just to get that attaboy. And none of those folks matter the way Jesus matters. Like the only approval that matters is Jesus's approval. And knowing that he loves you no matter what. And the moment you get that down deep in your soul, it transforms you. You talk differently. You walk differently. You don't become a people pleaser. You don't go doing things and agreeing to doing stuff like you're okay with saying no to people because you're like, because there's a way we can like do things like even that seem good on the outside, like, you know, philanthropy, giving money to folks, you know, uh, volunteering at places and you can do things out of guilt or do things because you're trying to like, because it makes you feel good. But God knows our motives for why we do stuff. He knows why we're volunteering here or doing, taking that job or doing this because we know what the pats on the back and the approvals and the promotions that come with doing certain things. He knows when we're trying to earn his love. When we're trying to earn his approval. Like he knows our hearts. He knows our hearts because the hearts are deceitful. Above all else, he knows when we're trying to earn status within the church. Some of us, you can be in a church. I'm be careful with that. But you know what I'm saying? Like you can do all kind of stuff and you're trying to look good for people so that you can get promoted. So that you can earn a title and a position and earn favor with people. And it's like Jesus, he's past all that. Anyway. That to me is like losing your soul. The moment you forget who, whose opinion of you matters, there's only one opinion that matters and knowing that there's nothing you can do to make Jesus stop loving you. (laughs) 
that's why my counselor, my, uh, every he said he tells me every day when I look in the mirror, when I when I look in the mirror, when I go to bed, before I go to bed, I'm starting doing it more throughout my days. Like he says, "Good morning, Aaron. Tell yourself, good morning, Aaron. I'm the one who Jesus loves." Because John said that he he was the one who said uh, he was the the disciple. He described himself as the disciple who whom Jesus loved. Anyway. Verse 37, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his father with the holy angels. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for this day. Help us to um, seek ye first your kingdom and all your righteousness help us to now um seek the approval of men but to know that we are approved by you lord that you love us and that you care for us and lord help us to never be ashamed of you lord to not be ashamed of the gospel romans 1 1 6 for it is, unto it is the power of salvation lord help us to be boldly boldly tell people our stories and how you saved us and to be led by your spirit to not do anything to earn a trophy and earn a, a badge or a pat on the back from other people but to know that your approval is all that matters there's nothing we can do to earn to earn our salvation to earn favor with you god Help us to just walk in the spirit everywhere we go and everything that we do. In Jesus' mighty precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, I'm sorry if I sounded kind of stuffy. I feel like I always sound stuffy, but hold on a second. How much time we got? Hey, we we did that in 38 minutes, y'all. I was talking a lot. I went on a lot of tangents. All right, till next time, I'll holler. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners jesus christ died for us romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe in our heart that god has raised him from the dead we will not might be not maybe we will be saved for with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with god and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody, everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. 
Hey, man. <laughs>